Well, if you would, grab your Bible, get to Luke chapter 2 with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, somewhere in a seat in front of you, you'll find one. Uh, grab one of those and get a copy of God's Word in front of you, Luke chapter 2. Uh, this week, we flipped the calendar to the month of December. And, and I don't know what your life looks like, but I know in ours, when we get to this month, kind of all of our normal weekly rhythms can kind of get thrown out the window uh, with December comes a lot of busyness, comes uh, some added gatherings, work gatherings, family gatherings, uh, and, and I think we can all relate to that. And so in the midst of the busyness, as, as Pastor Mark just prayed, it's so easy to lose sight of just setting Jesus straight at the center of the Advent season and, and keeping him right there as the center of all the gatherings and all the worship and, and what it is exactly we are seeking to worship. And so uh, like one of our convictions, it's, it's the job of the local church and, and us together in a season like this to make sure when we gather, we're just reminding each other and getting our eyes back vertical on what it is that we are seeking to do in the Advent season. And, and that is worship Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I, I just want to talk to us as we begin an Advent series here today. And, and if, if, if you didn't grow up in the church, or maybe you did grow up in the church, I grew up in the church, but I didn't really hear the word Advent until I was like a young adult. I'm like, what Advent? What does that mean? Uh, the, the word Advent it simply means coming. Or, or sometimes you'll hear it uh, described as arrival. And so the, the, the Advent time is a time for us to celebrate the fact that God came in flesh, was laid in a manger. And that's what we're celebrating. And so uh, we want to take uh, this Sunday and then the next three Sundays leading up to Christmas. There's only three Sundays before Christmas, y'all, okay? We want to worship. Yeah, some of you, like, guys, get on your shopping, right? Get some shopping done, right? We want to just set Jesus at the center. And so how are we going to fuel Advent worship as a church this year? Corporately, when we gather, uh, we're going to just focus on some, some common themes you find around the Advent time, the Advent of hope, the Advent of peace, the Advent of love, the Advent of joy. I'm going to preach on hope today uh, from a passage of scripture, preach on love or peace next week, and so on and so forth. That's going to culminate into our December 24th Christmas Eve service. Uh, and, and guess what? We own our own building now, so we can have fire at that Christmas Eve service. We're going to light some candles, have a candlelight Christmas Eve service. When we were meeting in the school, we did not want to burn their school down, okay? We still don't want to burn this place down, but we're willing to take that risk now that we actually own something. And so uh, all of this series is going to culminate on the 24th. Uh, we're just going to go right to Luke 2. We're just going to walk through the Christmas story that night. We're going to worship with some candles in our hand, okay? And then um, personally, I would encourage us that you would find an Advent study. So between the Sundays, that you have something that's stoking your heart uh, for a worship of Jesus. Let me recommend one to you. Uh, Good News of Great Joy by John Piper, a 25-day de uh, Advent devotional uh, that you can, uh, you can pull it up and prime it right now and have it here before December 1st. Or you can go on DesiringGod.org and download the free PDF of that, Good News of Great Joy. Uh, but I would just commend that to you as a great study personally. And then as a family, it, when you pick your kids up today, if you have kids over in Redeemer, 
older kids, uh, there's a table in there. Grab one of these Advent bags. And so one per family. Uh, but in this are going to be some great activities and some great opportunities for you to be fueling discussion with your family around what in the world is this celebration and this season all about. And so uh, we just want to set our eyes and our hearts on Jesus front and center in this season. And so today, I want to preach to us on hope. How does the Christmas story come to bear on this theme of hope? Um, often when we uh, talk about the Christmas story, right, there's some characters that come to mind that are part of the birth of Jesus Christ. We think of shepherds, we think of the wise men, um, but, but I want us to look about 40 days after the birth of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, about 40 days after the birth of the Messiah, we're introduced to two people. And, and as we see these people in the story of the early days of Jesus' life, they're going to instruct our hearts on hope today. Now, the word hope's not going to appear in this passage at all. Instead, what I want us to see are how Simeon and Anna have completely and totally fixated all of their hope on the birth of a Messiah into the world. And we're going to see that as we look at them here today. Now, before I get in here, though, I want to define or I want to describe when we talk about hope, what are we talking about? Because uh, we use the word hope all the time. Our culture uses the word hope all the time. Hope comes up in conversations all the time. And, and so we need to have a right and biblical understanding of the word hope. And so let me, let me uh, kind of paint a distinction, if I can, between how I think the word hope is used culturally and biblically what the word hope means. And so culturally, often when the word hope comes up, uh, people see hope as an optimistic but unrealistic possibility. Often we can think of hope as a Hail Mary. Man, I, I really hope this works, but I have very, very little conviction that it actually will. Biblically, when the Bible brings up hope, what we're talking about is an assured reality. Come on, church. When the Bible talks about hope, it is attaching, fixing that hope to the finished work Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. It's an assured reality. And so just like as we're talking about hope today, I want that planted in our mind. Often culturally, when the word hope comes up, it involves improved circumstances. So when people talk about just having hope, they're often talking about, I'm hoping in the coming weeks or the coming months or the coming years, my circumstances go up and to the right. My circumstances are proof. Biblically, when we talk about hope, it's non-circumstantial. And so if our circumstances never change on this side of heaven, our hope has not changed one inch. And so for, for the believer, it's like if greater circumstances in the here and now in this life come, praise the Lord. And for the believer, if worse circumstances come in the coming weeks, months, and years, we say together, praise the Lord. And in the greater or the worse circumstances, our hope has not changed. Because again, our hope is fixed to Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in Simeon and Anna's life here today. Last thing I want to know is often when culture brings up hope, they're talking about mustering something up from within. You just got to have hope. You just got to have hope. You just got to have hope. 
Biblically, when we're talking about hope, we're talking about a hope that's not mustered up from within, but found from without, and that is found in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're talking about. All of today can be summarized in this. There's really four parts we see Simeon and Anna hoping in Jesus. But Jesus is the hope of our consolation. I'll explain that as we get into it. Jesus is the hope of our consolation, salvation, heart revelation, and gospel proclamation. All in favor of a little talk on hope today? Let's do it. Father, help us as we open your word. Lord, just let your word do what your word does. Lord, I pray for distracted hearts here today. Would, Lord, they fixate and focus on your word. I pray for heavy hearts today. God, would you encourage them through your word. I pray for rejoicing hearts today. Lord, would you feel that rejoicing through your word. God, we are people who do not live on bread alone, but, on li but we live on every word that proceeds from your mouth. Feed us from your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Luke 2, jump down with me into verse 22. Remember, we're picking this up about 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And, and, and Luke's going to set the scene for us in which we're going to be introduced to Simeon and Anna. Luke 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses... They brought him up, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so uh, we just stop there, kind of get our bearings, set the scene. Um, remember something, Mary and Joseph are devout, uh, devout Jewish man and woman. They are following the ceremonies, the rituals that you would follow after giving birth, especially birth to a firstborn. And, and so uh, what Luke sets the stage for here in, in a few quick verses, there's really three ceremonies that he's describing. The, the first would have been a purification ceremony for the mother. Uh, 40 days after the birth, they travel to Jerusalem and there's this purification ceremony. But attached to that are a couple other things here as Mary and Joseph come to Jerusalem. There is a ceremony of the presentation of the firstborn. And attached to that, a ceremony of a dedication of the firstborn to the Lord's service. And so all of these things have been laid out in the Hebrew scriptures. And this is what Mary and Joseph are doing. They are good, devout Jewish mom and dad bringing their newborn to Jerusalem for these ceremonies. Now, in the midst of this, we're going to be introduced to someone. I want you to notice how the Bible describes who we're being introduced to. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so, um, right, when, often when we're introduced to people or we meet new people, uh, typically how we describe people is kind of like family they're part of, where they live, uh, what they do for a living. 
How is Simeon described here? What are some words the Bible uses? He was righteous and devout. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he's waiting for something. What's he waiting for? The consolation of Israel. What in the world does that mean? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so as we're introduced to this man named Simeon, uh, this righteous man, this devout man, this man full of the spirit, but he's a waiting man. And I'll tell you something, hope, the, uh, hope builds in the waiting. And you're seeing the hope, you're going to see the hope that Simeon has for a coming Messiah, but he's been waiting for this. And specifically, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, we could break that down a bit. Uh, what does it mean? What is consolation? What does it mean to console? So to console is to alleviate grief or to comfort in the midst of grief. Uh, the act of consoling or the process of consoling is called consolation. How do we typically hear the word consolation used in our day and age? A consolation prize. A consolation prize is a prize given to the non-winner to console them in the grief of their loss. Literally. You're like, man, my third place medal means so much less now, right? A consolation prize is a prize given to the non-winner to console them in the grief of their loss. When it says Simeon was waiting and waiting and waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's not waiting for something, he's waiting for someone. He's waiting for the one Isaiah wrote about who would come and console his people in the midst of their grief, of their sin and their suffering. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Simeon was waiting for the Messiah prophesied throughout all of the Hebrew scriptures. And he had a really, really special gift from God in the midst of the waiting. The Lord told him, you won't die until you're, you've laid your eyes on him. And that's exactly what we see here. Jesus, folks, is our hope for consolation. Jesus is our consoling hope. We have a God who came down and dwelt in the midst of sinners and sufferers to console them in the grief of their sin and their suffering. Is that good news for anyone in the room today? Any sinners in the room today? Any sufferers in the room today? 
any hope we have of being comforted in the midst of the grief of our sin and our suffering isn't some abstract nebulous concept of just have hope or just have faith. It's directly tethered and tied to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again and again and again throughout this message because what we're going to see with Simeon and Anna is they're tethering all of their hope to this baby they're looking at. And if we need hope in the midst of our grief, if we need consoled in the midst of our grief, we can't go look out somewhere. We have to look straight into the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the consolation, the consoling of his people. Now, why is he that hope? It's one thing to say that Jesus consoles sinners and sufferers in the midst of their grief, but how do we know that's true? Look at what Simeon says as he takes this baby up in his hands. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit, Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, to, to take part in these ceremonies we described earlier, he took him up, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now hold on, just, I, right? Like it's one thing for us to sit in this room thousands of years later to read the story, but, but I, want you to, I want you to imagine this moment. Uh, you're, a, you're a good, devout Jewish man or woman. You're bringing your 40-day-old baby into the temple for these, for these ceremonies. And, and there's, there's, there's someone there. And, and we've been told he's righteous and devout and full of the Spirit. But, but here comes Mary and Joseph and, and their baby. And here comes man we know is righteous, devout. And he takes up this baby. You and I in that moment would be going, what are you doing? And look at what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your what? My eyes have seen your salvation. That you've prepared in the presence of who? Of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, I'm going to give you the second point here. But if you're a church-going folk and you've been church-going folk for a while... You're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we say something like this every Sunday. If you're a churchgoer and you've church, been churchgoing folk for a while, like you expect me to say something like this in the midst of the Christmas series thing. But when, I, when we put on the screen what we're going to put on the screen, I pray and I've been praying that God by his spirit would grip us with the reality of a simple statement like this. The way Simeon is, Simeon is gripped as he holds this baby in his hands and looks in his eyes and said, I've now seen his salvation. I'm holding salvation. 
Because Jesus is our hope for salvation. I want to say it again. Salvation isn't some nebulous, abstract concept of people of faith. Salvation is found in the finished work of the person of Jesus Christ. Simeon understood it. This is the long-awaited-for Messiah. And he describes the salvation in a very, very important way. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then he unpacks all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Non-Jewish people will have their eyes, the darkened eyes, opened and they will see the light of the salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. And he says, a glory to your people Israel. God's people must see the light of the salvation, the glory of the salvation that is found only through faith in this Messiah. It's everything we just studied throughout the whole book of Ephesians for the last couple months. The fact that Jesus is Savior of both Jew and Gentile wasn't a creation of Paul. It was prophesied 40 days into the birth of Jesus Christ, and it was prophesied way before that for hundreds of years throughout the Old Testament. All of our salvation is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, church-going folk, I know you've heard this again and again and again and again. But I'm praying that God might open some eyes today to see that ultimately your salvation isn't found in your regular church going. And ultimately your salvation isn't found in the fact that you celebrate Christmas. Ultimately your salvation isn't found in the fact that you know facts about Christianity. When Simeon took up that baby, he said, my salvation is found right here. In the finished work of the person of Jesus Christ. Who traded the splendor of heaven, born as a baby, laid in a feeding trough. Lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. You won't make it to bedtime tonight without sinning. died then the death for sinners that you and I deserve to die, was laid in a tomb, three days later rose victorious over sin and death, ascended to the right hand of the Father and invites us to himself by faith. All of the hope of our salvation rests in that message right there. Will you respond in faith to that message? Will you believe and the finished work of the person of Jesus Christ. 
And so Simeon has said, I've been waiting in hopeful anticipation for the consolation of Israel, the Messiah who would come and console God's people in the, in the grief of their sin and their suffering. The reason this coming one will console us is because he is our salvation. And now, right after this, Simeon has a direct message for mom, for Mary. And his message is probably a little bit different than we would have expected it to be if we were standing in that temple courtyard as well. Verse 33, and his father and his mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now, what, what might you expect here? What might you expect here? Congratulations. It's awesome. But he has a very prophetic and pointed message for Mary here. Hang with me. Okay, this is a message on hope. Okay, we're going to get there, okay? Hang with me, though, okay? And Simeon blessed him and said to, his Mary, his, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is, what's the word? And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Stop right there. So he looks Mary, he looks mom right in the eyes. He says, this son of yours is appointed for the rising and the fall of many. This son of yours will be a watershed in which people will fall on one side of the other. Where some will rise, some will fall. There will be a division here. He then says, a, a, a sign that is opposed In the same way, Simeon could have looked to the writings of Isaiah to tell him of this coming comforter. Isaiah would also speak of the opposition in which this coming comforter would face. And then he tells Mary of something very personal. And a sword will pierce through your own soul as well. I believe a prophetic word over the day she will stand at the foot of her son's cross and watch him crucified before her very eyes. Where's the hope in this? <laughs> Here's the hope. After he says all this, Rising and fall, sign that is to be opposed, sword will pierce through your own soul also, comma, verse 35, right after your own soul also, comma, 
What are the next two words? So that. All of this has a purpose to it. All of that has a purpose to it. What's the purpose, Simeon? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is our hope for heart revelation. And if you're like, I don't, I don't get it. What's the hope here? It's okay. Throughout the scriptures, this isn't the only place that we're told that Jesus will reveal the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you come across those passages, how does that make you feel? That my heart will be laid bare before Christ. This is what Simeon is prophesying. The rising and the fall, sign of opposition, sword will pierce through so that hearts will be revealed. Hearts will be revealed. Where's the hope in the fact that our hearts will be revealed? When our hearts are revealed, when God opens the eyes of our hearts to see this, the nature of our heart apart from Christ, what do we see there? It's ugly, isn't it? When God really shows us what our heart looks like, when he really reveals our heart to us, it's ugly. But the only way we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ is when he opens the eyes of our hearts and we stare at it in all of its ugliness. And he opens the eyes of our hearts so we see the remedy for all that ugliness. It's in the revealing of our heart that the Lord can do the saving work of us believing in him. In such a way that if every heart will be revealed, will be exposed before the Lord one day, who can possibly stand in that day of judgment? Only those hearts that have been robed in the righteousness of Christ. So the fact of the matter is, through this Messiah that Simeon is holding, he knows hearts are going to be revealed. Some will rise, some will fall. But there will be no middle ground. This, this, this Messiah is a watershed in which people fall on one side or the other. And Jesus, please reveal our hearts to us so that you can reveal your good remedy for the fallen nature of our heart. Amen. So this is the hope Simeon speaks in the midst of the ceremony. But there's someone else who comes on the scene. Verse 36 introduces her to us, and I want you to see how the Bible describes her. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, 
the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So she was married seven years and then as a widow until she was 84. So has lived much of her life as a widow. How did she spend those years? She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. That's a picture of devotion. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with, and, with prayer and fasting night and day. And it says, in coming up at that very hour, and now I want you to notice Anna's response. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. So she lifts praise vertically. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so Anna comes on the scene. She's been worshiping the Lord for years in prayer and fasting, night and day at the temple. She comes on the scene, Simeon is holding this Messiah child, and she begins to lift vertical praise, giving thanks to God, and she begins to proclaim to people who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna's response in that moment at the advent of the Christ, the coming of the Christ, was praise and proclamation, was giving thanks and sharing with others who were waiting for redemption. That has to be our same response thousands of years later in this season of the advent. That we would lift praise and that we would proclaim to others the hope that we have tasted ourselves personally because Jesus is our hope-giving proclamation. He's our consolation, our salvation. He's the revealer of our heart, our heart revelation. And he is the source of every hope-giving proclamation we have this season. And so I would, I would ask us, who are you prepared to proclaim Christ to in this season? I mean, the, 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 the coming weeks are all about Christmas. At the center of Christmas is one called Christ. Those followers of Christ called Christians need not fear, fear any shame or rebuke at just talking about the one the whole season is about. And so who are you prepared to proclaim Christ to? And may I give us, maybe I give us three categories of people to encourage us to start. Would you proclaim Christ this Christmas to the languishing? To those who are weak and feeble. To the languishing. Would you proclaim Christ this Christmas to the let down? December 25th is coming quickly. What's the day after December 25th? Not a trick question. December 26th. All the celebration leading up to December 25th will be over. 
And we will wake up, Lord willing, to a morning of December 26th. And we'll start thinking of boxing up the Christmas decorations. Some of you have kids who are catching flights back to home across the country. And you're like, no, 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 don't go there yet. Don't go there yet. All of us experience a bit of the letdown that comes with December 26th. Many who don't know Jesus experience that letdown in even greater extremes. Would we be there to proclaim Christ to those let down when all the festivities of it all are done? So that we can share with them the hope that still remains for us even on December 26th and beyond. The languishing, the letdown, and then this last category, the lonely. For some folks, this season we love so much is a season that reminds them of what's been lost. Someone our family loves dearly. I was over at this house last Sunday, and as I walked out, I said, hey, have a good Thanksgiving. And he just sat in his chair, and he kind of thought, and he said, I'll try. I knew exactly what he was communicating with just those two little words, I'll try. For him, it's a reminder of loneliness and of what's been lost. My prayer for us as followers of Jesus is that this Christmas we would invite those in the midst of that loneliness into the festivities of our life where we will show them and share with them the deep hope we have found in this Messiah who's come to save us all. That we'd be ready to proclaim Christ this Christmas. And now, um, you know, fold your Bibles up, get your communion elements in your hand, because as we start an Advent series, let me just acknowledge, as we start an Advent series in 2021, we sit at a privileged vantage point of history. And that privileged vantage point is that we look back and we get to see this Messiah who has come, born to earth and laid in a manger, who would grow and live this sinless life and then would take up the cross on our behalf and go to the tomb and rise victorious over it. We get to see that whole picture. We get to see that whole work of redemption that the Lord did in the 33 years in which he walked this earth. And so it's fitting for us on the first Sunday of Advent that we get to focus our hearts on this work of redemption that Christ won for us through the taking of communion. And now uh, communion is a time for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ to remember the sacrifice of our Christ, of our Savior on the cross on our behalf. And God's word instructs us on some things related to communion. He says it's not to be partaken of in an unworthy manner. We don't walk into this time lightly. But he tells us to examine our hearts. To let the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, work on our hearts in the midst of this time where we once again will take of these little elements to remember the massive work that Christ has done to save us on the cross. And so if you would, as the worship team sings over us.